Hey, and welcome to episode 14 of the Beer and Bible podcast. We've made it into episode 14. Yeah. Um, how many did you expect us to be able to do in a year? Originally, we talked about 12, one for each month, and then we were going to record two a night, but we found out that one, we were drinking too much that night. <laughs> Because to review two beers for two episodes, and to really review a beer, you need more than one of it. Of course. So, you know, there was there was just too much beer, and those nights were too long. And we usually record like a Monday or Tuesday night, and yep. you go you go to work pretty early in the morning. Yep. Um, so we're yeah. Um, the reason we haven't recorded recently is both of us have been experiencing new things in life with jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up coaching boys high school soccer. Um, girls. And girls, I got the girls job gig as well. And what's up with you? Um, I'm, I got a new job too. Got a new um, job as well. Yep, still in office furniture. But that's that's the reason we our schedules haven't meshed well recently. But we're back, episode fourteen, and we're discussing the naughty words of the Bible. Yep. One new, new mini series. New mini series, naughty words. And today, um, after the Facebook poll that we did, we're going to be starting a series probably two or three episodes on this wonderful word sin everybody's favorite topic yeah it's whatever you want to fill the like offering plates just when you to give the whole sin talk and make people feel guilty if you love jesus you will give more money and if you don't love jesus you're sinning yeah i think in the southern baptist circles maybe it is their favorite topic but then um equally oppositely awkward is the feel-good churches that don't know how to talk about it yeah so that's the interesting thing is sin is that i don't want to say awkward topic to talk about but it kind of is because it usually pricks at most people especially the way it's usually delivered and the normal traditional i won't even say traditional the understanding that is coming from most pulpits on what sin is is coming down to how evil we are, how awful we are, and that's why we need Jesus. Yeah. I've very rarely heard any good messages about sin. Not even the one that you gave? The one I gave was all right. <laughs> but I went into that with very few notes. It was mostly um, just one of those show up and what does God have to say? Yeah. That's what you hope for. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it worked out. Most pastors do that. People just don't know. <laughs> this looks like they have a ton of notes. No, I did have three <laughs> pages, but that was, you know, that was a small sermon for me. So what do you think um, most people's understanding of sin is that you've heard from pulpits and churches throughout your young life? Uh, generally, they talk about specific sins. They don't even talk about sin on the whole. Mm-hmm. Um, they, from my experience, generally talk in the church about um, sex and lust. Mm-hmm. That's the big one. Men's groups, it's like 80% of a men's Bible study. <laughs> um, and then I would say they talk about uh, greed. Um, but then it's usually, I don't know, maybe they don't. Have maybe it. I mean, you hear the, like, I think I'm probably as guilty as an ex, like, selfishness is one that I touch on a bit, maybe. And do it kind of out like the guilt. Kind of like, Jesus gave it all up. Yeah. Why are you holding on to all of your privilege? Yeah. Um, swearing and stuff like that. Taking the Lord's name in yeah. vain. Breaking yeah. the Sabbath yeah. is one. Gluttony all the time. No, I mean, you like, hear- I've never heard that. 
I've never heard a pastor speak on gluttony. Probably because they want to keep their job. Probably that and... <laughs> yeah, I'm going to leave that one alone for today. Maybe that'll be episode two. Um, but you're right. It's very narrow-minded. It's very yeah. specific actions. Mm -hmm. And the most heinous sins that they want to talk about are generally sexual sins. Yeah. Like if you notice somebody talking about a really wicked place or something, they usually bring up something. Some, Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, yep. It's always linked to that bad thing. Yeah. Versus um, they don't talk a lot about war, at least in most of the churches. I know that um, the community we're a part of with uh, Brian Zan's church, the Water to Wine community, Yep. they're probably the exception. But there's a lot of churches out there that don't see violence directly as a sin and so it doesn't get talked about no they usually and if it does come up it's usually a justified violence mm -hmm. but we're doing this because x y and z and i think we do that a lot with when we when we start narrowing sins down to individual things mm -hmm. we can usually justify most of them yeah but we're going to take a look at sin at a com hopefully at a where well, we are completely different viewpoint there's a lot more things that are that i would guess i would label sin yeah so for those of you that were hoping for like happy fun time on the podcast where I say do whatever you want, that's not going to be the case. Yeah, this isn't licensed to do whatever we want. This is more of a trying to understand what sin truly is and how it affects affects humanity and community and society mm -hmm. and our willingness to participate in that at times. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really, it becomes scarier. Um I can honestly say I never really saw sin this way until the past couple months when I started studying for that series um, at the church that I teach at on Sundays. And I was just blown away by it. And all of a sudden, all these passages started popping to my head. It was like one of those things where all the bucket words yeah. unpack all at once. And you're like, holy cow. And did it, do you think, do you find it made more sense? Oh, yeah. And the yeah. whole, even the whole narrative scripture, not that it changed, but it was more cohesive. Yeah. And I would say, um, my, athon my atonement, atonement theory, <laughs> my atonement theory, um, <laughs> was definitely affected by it too. You think strengthened or weakened? Can you strengthen or weaken an atonement, atonement theory? theory? I don't uh, oh, my particular Your particular theory. theory. Yeah. Um, I would just say clarified. Clarified. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So, like, the general consensus, not general, like general consensus is the wrong word, but what you hear a lot of times from the pulpit, from pastors, from teachers, and, and main, I don't know, evangelical Christianity is that man is sinful and evil, and we need Jesus. Mm -hmm. Without necessarily, they go back to this idea of original sin back in the garden, and we're going to spend a lot of time in Genesis this, this evening. Yep. And... When we talk about sin, a lot of people say, well, the what was the first sin? And they go straight to Adam and Eve. Yeah. Or some will go and say Satan being rebellious. Mm -hmm. um, when, when is the first time the word sin, what is the word for sin that is used? Um, the first word for sin, but you're kind of jumping ahead in the notes already. Oops, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a noun. So we have to actually do some work. To understand how sin can be a noun. Yeah. Um, and also, I'll I'll rewind you like 30 seconds real quick just to say 
that generally when the pastors teach that man is sinful and they need Jesus, I would agree with that statement. However, if the pastor and I sat down for a beer and talked out what that looks like, their worldview would be drastically different than my worldview. What do you think their worldview would look like then if we want to summarize that? Um, it's dehumanizing. Yeah. Um, definitely a lower perspective of humanity, which in turn creates a lower perspective of God because those two are intricately linked. linked? Yeah. Um, your view of humans will affect your view of God and vice versa. Yeah. But anyway. So going through that. So Genesis what is this too? Yeah. Uh, opening up in Genesis 2, this is where um, God is creating human beings. And it says, Then the Lord God formed, man, formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the word there is nefesh. So when you die, um, you're no longer a nefesh. You are um, a different word. So, like, we would say someone is a human being, even if they're dead in a casket. Yeah. The Hebrews would not say that. Uh, they Well, let me rephrase that. Um, ancient Hebrews would not say that. Yeah. They would look at um, a dead body, and they would say part of what made this thing a human being is gone, the God part. Mm -hmm. So when they looked around the world... Um, this is actually really intuitive. It's just a very simple concept. But when they saw wind affecting the trees, when they saw the sun, when they saw the weather, when they saw somebody breathe in and breathe out, they pieced together quite simply that that was God animating everything. And that's not to say that God is uh, micro controlling everything, but God is the animating force of energy behind all human beings, all animals, trees. Anything that brings life or yeah. is life. Yep. Which is a kind of different view than what we tend to have mm -hmm. in the Western world. So so in Genesis chapter 2, you're taking the melding of the dust mm -hmm. and the breath of the divine. Mm -hmm. And when those two meet, humanity is created. Yeah, it's not oil and water. These two things are made to go together. Yeah. It's like God's spirit and the earth are meant to be intermingled. Mm -hmm. And when they are, it's not like you can then separate them back out. Yeah. It's once you, the, ne the nefesh cannot be broken. It just, it dies. Like when, yeah. when somebody dies, it ceases to be so a nefesh, ceases to be a human being, or this is where we get the Hebrew word soul. A lot of times in uh, the Bible, in the Old Testament, when it says soul, that word is nefesh. Fesh. So you're so so we're saying at the beginning of Genesis and the create. This is the creation narrative mm -hmm. that for humans to become a living creature, would dust and the and the breath of God must meet. Yeah, and and, they, and like you said, they come together well. I mean, it's, he's, it is good. By design. By design, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's not only good. When man's created, it's very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is an emphasis over and above the other things that are good. So so why do you think it's important to start, when we're discussing sin for one, why do you think it's important to start with an understanding of what man is? 
Um, because I think we've, in general, especially within um, circles that teach total depravity in their churches, mm-hmm. um, which is a Calvinist doctrine, uh, I think that churches that tend towards that direction have overemphasized the dirtbag part of humanity and underemphasized the God-indwelling part of humanity. And when you talk about total depravity, that's the the doctrine of man is born evil and broken? or Man is born into sin, I think, would probably be the most agreeable way to say it. <laughs> and when you for, say born into sin. Yeah, born into sin. Yeah. There, so I mean, I mean that's the, I mean that's so you, we're so used to hearing things like that, and then you will start talking about age of accountability, and we don't want to go down those routes today. That's where it gets unique. Yeah, is under when you start talking about humanity itself being sinful, you have to start wrestling with things like ages or mental capacity. Yep, like a mentally handicapped person, if they do something that we would deem as sin but they're not in control, is it sin? There's all these blind spots that um, are begging to be addressed and dealt with. Yeah. But that's part of the problem with a lot of schools of organized theology is they're so quick to want to label something that they can't tell the story and they can't deal with actual human beings. Yeah. It's all head knowledge. Because then you, you have the, dis- the discussion if a five-year-old does something that is deemed sinful, is it sinful for a is it not sinful for a five-year-old, but sinful for a 15-year-old, yep. depending on their age? Mm-hmm. And when we talk about sin, it gets blurry. There's also um, the Calvinist belief, not all Calvinists, but it's a, definitely something that I've heard them actually say is that some babies um, are predestined from the womb for hell. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, a, it hurts to even say, but... It does. And I, I mean, for me, one of the, the pivotal changes in my view of sin, God, in the whole nine yards was the birth of my son. It's kind of like looking at this and I came from the background of born into sin. This I got to keep this kid alive long enough to say that right mm-hmm. prayer. And now when, when that happened, you look at the innocence of that face and the innocence of yeah. that soul and into those eyes. And you're like, what kind of theology have I been subscribing mm-hmm. to? I will say that that's more of a fringe Calvinist belief, but it is kind of a natural direction. If you say that some people are predestined for heaven and some are predestined for hell and that everybody is totally depraved, um, you can get to that conclusion fairly easily. Yeah. I know that um, some of my friends would bring up like the canons of Dort, which is not something we're going to talk about now, but um, it definitely puts theories like that. Uh, to to rest. Yeah. yeah, and I think anybody who was a um, Calvinist in the medieval days, kind of like a actually, classical Calvinist, actually listened or read Calvin. Yeah, I think that they would be much more balanced than kind of the neo-Calvinism that we see today. Yeah, that really hammers home things like people are totally depraved. And when you when we talk about people being totally depraved, that alters the view of humanity that is given in Genesis 2, 7. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they're no longer very good. Right. And people aren't just created with God's breath in them. Uh, Genesis 1 says, in the image of God, yeah. he created them. That we are actually image bearers of 
God. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say it's linked that our view of humanity and our view of God are going to become muddy waters. Or I think like brackish water is a term, <laughs> like when salt water and fresh water mix. Yeah. And it's like that, that water where we try and separate our views it, to have a good theology um, requires a healthy worldview towards humans. Yeah, and vice versa. I mean, we have a when we have a, for lack of a better word, a, a more destructive or more negative view of humans, it will affect our view of God. It affects yeah. our view of how God interacts with humanity as well. Mm -hmm. So, so then when they're created from the dust, yep. the breath of God is breathed into them. They are image bearers of God, and then they're given a command of what to do. Yeah. And they're told to... Rule over creation. Pretty straightforward yep. and simple. Yep. I mean, the, there was no, the like... First command. The first command is take care of the garden. Yep. <laughs> take care of what God has given yep. you. And there's a lot of language to the effect of rule or dominion or reign yeah. when it comes to sin, but also when it comes to man's purpose here. Man's purpose is to rule and reign um, jointly or cooperatively over God's creation. Yeah. So that's the original plan is that we would be led by the Spirit to collectively rule the earth as servants of God. And I don't just say led by the Spirit in the Christianese way. I mean literally the breath of God in you animates you to fulfill your created purpose. Yeah, and I mean that's the animating part of of the human mm -hmm. is the dust is not the animate part. The breath is what animates the mm -hmm. dust yep. when the two come together. Yep. And when it's animated is that, that part of us mm -hmm. that drives us and gives us life mm -hmm. and not only breath, but life as in purpose. Cause we're, our purpose is to rule and reign or rule and have dominion over the earth with God. So when you say led by the spirit, you're not talking about like, Blindly just going. Not talking, in the charismatic, not the charismatic sense, sense, yeah. Spending time in your prayer closet and then thinking you need to go out and buy the Porsche. That'd be a nice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of that driving force inside of human of mankind. Yeah. Yep. Um, a lot of people generally place sin at the choice of Adam and Eve. Yeah. Traditionally. Well, I shouldn't say traditionally because I'm about to Un <laughs> give us a traditional un view. <laughs> unhinge some of that. But um, I more would contemporarily, say when we yeah. talk about what is the original sin, most people are going to say, "Well, the first sin is when Adam and Eve disobey God in the garden." And it's all Eve's fault first. Yeah. Or well, some would twist and say it's Adam's fault because Adam wasn't with Eve yeah. at that point. The Bible but, doesn't really put it that way. No, it doesn't. Um, when when Eve is tempted, um, she's tempted with a good thing that nobody can fault her for, which is you'll become more like God. Yeah. Well, isn't that what we all strive to do is to be more like God? Yeah. I mean, that's part of the Christian walk, isn't it? Is yeah. to be more conformed to the image yep. of Christ. And then it's not like Satan just totally deceived her. He kind of told her like two truths and a lie because when God is laying on the curses, he says, man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Yeah. So, cause and effect, 
the devil said, this is going to make you more like God. And it does. They ate it. Turns out that it did. Yep. And for that reason, um, because man is limited and they usurped their role within creation, trying to not... I think the real fault comes down to that there was a level of dissatisfaction with who they were created to be. Yeah. They want it to be more? Yeah. 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 Um, which I've given the image before. It's almost like if my five-year-old son um, wants to make macaroni and cheese and knows how to turn on the oven and believes he's old enough to make macaroni and cheese, goes over, puts the macaroni in the pot, and turns it on and sits there and watches it wearing, like, his apron. <laughs> And this has happened. <laughs> and I walk in and I smell something that is rank and there's pasta turning black in the bottom of a pot. Um, he's trying to do something that he is not ready for. Yeah. And I think that's the image that Genesis has given us is that they were naked and felt no shame. There was no way they were ready for knowledge of good and evil. And yet, and yet they, they went for it. They anyway. went for it. Yeah. There's a loss of innocence. Um, Paul says that sin entered the world through one man, Adam. But I think he chooses his words carefully there to say entered through. Yeah. Um, and then there's another passage where it says just as one man sinned, so all have sinned. That's used for total depravity. Yeah, because Adam sinned. Um, Everybody has. Yep. It's passed down through the man. Yeah, but... Throughout most of the Old Testament, it doesn't really talk about Adam again after the garden. Yeah. <clears throat> no, he's not one of the patriarchs. He's not no, one of the ones that he's not really mentioned. Um, and really, Cain ends up being talked about more. Yeah. Um, which I would root, I would say the first official sin. Is Cain. Yeah. And it's not because I just want to downplay what happened in the garden. Something happened at the garden moment. Yeah. But then the first time sin is used in the Bible is in relation to Cain. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like we read sin into the Adam and Eve narrative. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like we want to find that one place where it all breaks down yep. and this is it. They want to be like, God, this is where sin starts. Yep. And depending on your view of Genesis, historically or whatever, there. I mean, it kind of changes the narrative when you're talking about the loss of innocence, mm -hmm. the childlike people trying to be something they're not yeah, or not ready to be. Yeah. So we have that. So you, the, the original sin or sin in general, the first time it's ever used as a word in scripture is with Cain. Yeah. Not with Adam and Eve. And there's some early church fathers that pin the first sin on Cain, not on Adam. Yeah. Um, don't ask me to remember their names right now because <laughs> when I did the study for this, it was a while ago. Um, but um, I'm not alone. And so if you do a thorough search, a lot of people will pin the first sin on Cain, not on Adam. Um, going back as far as the first few hundred years of the church. Yeah. Um, so let's read that passage in Genesis 4, 6 and 7. And it says this in Genesis 4, 6 through 7. The Lord said to Cain... Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, 
Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And that is such a telling passage because, first of all, sin there, the word is um, kata'ah, and it's a noun. What? Sin is a noun. It's a person? Or a noun? Sorry. In this passage. passage? Yeah. In this passage, sin is a, a thing. An entity outside of the human. Yep. It's a thing that is crouching at the door. Uh, it's, I picture, you know, Cain out in the field getting mad, thinking about his brother, that anger and hate welling up in him. God says, why is your face fallen? Why are you angry? And I just picture like a windy day and seeing a creature lurking in the grass behind him. You know, yeah. sin, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. Um, that whatever this thing is, it's not good for humans. Yeah. It's the opposite of humanity. Um, yeah. It is the yeah. opposite of humanity. Yeah. But you must rule over it. So God doesn't deny that this thing is here. And he's not directly doing anything about it other than warning Cain. Yep. It's not like God's, you know, throwing a fist down from heaven to punch the sin monster. <laughs> um, sin is there and it's lurking and it's... Um, always going to be kind of lurking until uh, the renewal of all things. But we must rule over it. So you, it goes back to that language of rule and dominion again. Mm -hmm. Cain, stay the course. Fulfill your God-given duty. This, this thing, you must rule over it. Just as you were told to rule over the rest of creation. You're to God. rule over this. Mm-hmm. So, so, in, I mean, if, you t if we take this just in, in a bubble, this idea that sin is something that is there to make us non-human or is something that is not human. Contrary to humanity. Contrary to humanity. And that humanity, because we are the meld of creation of dust and, div and divine breath, can rule over it. We can. Because of why? I mean, I mean, because this is you hear like but, in churches now. We're human. <laughs> but no, because you hear in churches now, Jesus rose from the dead, so now he has conquered both sin and death, and we no longer have to sin anymore. But you go all the way back to Genesis, where God is telling Cain before Christ, "Hey, you can rule over it now. Mm -hmm. Don't let it overtake you." Yeah, that's not usually what is taught. No, it's not. Because you, you you made the interesting statement of we can rule over it because we're human. Yeah, simply because we're human. Because we you, because we started off with a higher view, not a higher, a high view of humanity. Yep, which in turn leads to a high Christology, which in yep. turn leads to a high theology. Because our statement at the beginning that we are the meld of creation of dust and divine breath mm -hmm. means that we can rule over sin. Yeah, um, we can, but we don't. Yeah. So all the statements that are kind of negative Nancy comments <laughs> later throughout the Bible, I would agree with those too. Um, there's the passage, no one is righteous, no, not one. Yep. Um, I think that for the most part, those statements are more or less accurate. Maybe not about everybody in the world at all times, but yep. I think 
that those statements are truth speaking statements. And then, because then you you take a look at the book of Job, where they how they describe Job, mm -hmm. a righteous man. Yep. And I've heard pastors sit there, well, he was just better than the people around him. Right. Like there's this comparative level. Well, he can't even think of a sin. Yeah. Because they say, hey. What did you what, do wrong? Yeah, what sin caused this? Oh, wow, it's raining. Is it downpouring right now? Let's push pause. I need to roll up a window. <laughs> so we're back. Um, we had a torrential downpour for like 35 seconds here in Belding. And very strange. Dan's windows were open in his car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing about that is You're the walk in and sunshine and almost 80 degrees, <laughs> and then half hour later, torrential Tur downpour. downpour. Then that brought up in my mind um, Noah. <laughs> 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 we're talking about sin and then torrential downpour. Yeah. No, but going back to the idea of Job and Noah, this idea of righteousness. Mm -hmm. I mean, would it be a wrong definition that righteousness is? living the right way or the intended way for humanity. Uh, that's probably accurate. And not in the standpoint of, or from the viewpoint of living according to Mosaic law or even living according to the Christian teachings, but living in our full, you used the word, what, nefesh earlier? Mm -hmm. Living as a nefesh? Yeah. Um, being a human? Being a human, that's even easier. Yeah. Living in f our full humanity. Yeah, which is kind of a different way of looking at it because righteousness, at least in the human sense, what hu the level of righteousness that humans can achieve mm -hmm. is just simply being a human. Yeah. It's when we are less than human, when we become, when we practice subhuman things that... Uh, we allow sin to control and rule over us. Yeah, which Cain does. Yep. And what he, humanity he does. Yeah. He gives in, and we give in. And it's not that we give in in this, like, we have no choice. Mm -hmm. It's this, we give in because we choose not to rule over it. Yeah. And that is, that might annoy people. Mm -hmm. Because it kind of removes, or it kind of adds a lot more accountability for decisions that we make. Yeah, I think it does. Um, I think that's... The Bible is not shy about putting responsibility on your lap. Mm -hmm. It's telling a story about humanity and about people, and it expects you to own up to your involvement in that story. And we like to package it nicely, put it on a bookstore shelf... Um, set it on our nightstand, and then only read the highlighted passages that we highlighted during that one Bible study back 10 years ago, and uh, get our greatest hits. Um, read that verse that Jeff Sessions quoted recently, and then turn around <laughs> and go to church on Sundays and have somebody else tell us what it is. Yeah. And then very rarely do we actually open it, say this book has the story of people in it. And in their story, I find my story. Because, I mean, I think maybe in the Western world now, we look at the scriptures more as a self-help. This is how I can achieve my best life now. Uh -huh. This is how I can, <laughs> not a, to quote a book title. <laughs> um, you could be copyright infringement. Uh -oh. Every, day is, a, might every day is a Friday. 
<laughs> I could go on with his awesome book titles. But when we look at the scriptures as this narrative of what it truly means to be human mm-hmm. and how humanity has struggled with that, has struggled to walk as or to be as human as we are intended to be. And then you take a look at, like you had the story of David and Bathsheba, and you see what happens when sin does take full control and the spiral that David goes into to the point of murder. And even to the point when Nathaniel confronts him, he doesn't even see how far he's gone. He's wanting to harm somebody else. Mm -hmm. His reaction to what he has done is he wants to be violent towards somebody else who stole a sheep in a story. Yeah, who's done the same thing as him. Yeah, and he wants to be violent towards him. That's yeah. how far gone he is from his humanity. Is his first his 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 visceral reaction is well, somebody who's done this wrong must die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you want to listen to more about David, we have a podcast for that. We do. <laughs> it was a good one. It was. Um, sin. So yes, sin is a noun when it is first mentioned, and then. This may come as a shock to some people, but it's not brought up again until Genesis 13. Do you remember when the flood was? Genesis 13. No. No. Six. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, So, or six or seven. But wickedness is talked about, but sin is left by the wayside for a while. And when sin comes back up is when they're talking about Sodom they say, here is a place that is sinful. It's full of sin. It's an adjective now. Yeah, it's an adjective. So here, uh, this is Genesis 13, 13, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners. Now, that's not being redundant. There seems (laughs) to be a difference between being sinful and being wicked. I'm not really sure where the hairs are split there in the Jewish mind. Yeah. But the, there seems to be... But we meld those two together. Yeah, the people, the world could be full of wickedness, and actually it says it's full of violence, which is why the flood comes, is because people were being violent, mm-hmm. um, which is not one of the core sins that we teach is going to bring the end of the world. <laughs> uh, but We say the end of the world is going to come with Jesus being violent, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, we don't teach that, but... So... They were sinful before the Lord exceedingly. And now it drops the awe at the end. So instead of being kata awe, it's just kata. Which makes it the adjective. Yep. And then Genesis 18, 20, it goes back to the noun. So it says, And the Lord said, Because of the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous. So this thing that is outside, like it's almost as if it reminds you that this thing is still an outside force working in. Yeah. It's like a viral invasion or a hijacking of humanity that's taking place. Um, Psalm nineteen thirteen, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Talking about the dominion again. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Uh, you won't be innocent or blameless because you're totally depraved, David. Yeah. <laughs> no. He's talking and he's foreshadowing Jesus. Jesus. But do you see where it works here? If you're not controlled by sin, if you're not being mastered by it, then there's this idea that you're innocent. Yeah. 
there is still an innocent human in the early biblical narrative. Um, I think seeing sin as an ambiguous alternative animating force to the Spirit of God that is seeking to rule us um, helps us not only with dealing with what sin is and who we are, but it also um, adds a lot to our atonement theories. Yeah, so you, so we're kind of looking at sin as an invasive parasite, what you said before off mic. Yeah. Well, this, I, this idea that it is something that's foreign to the human experience, yeah. but infects the human experience. Yeah. And as it infects the human experience, as the noun sin infects the human experience, we then use these verbs or we become the adjective sin. Sinners, sinful. And just like a viral infection, you then transmit. Yeah. You transmit sin to others. Yeah. Which is how a place can be sinful. Sin. With like Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. It's not, it's not talking about this like one person sinful. It's talking about that this entity, this noun sin, mm -hmm. has invaded the human experience in Sodom and Gomorrah mm -hmm. to where they are no longer that perfect meld of, of the, the, the breath of God and dust. And now there's a third thing that is floating, a foreign object that is now at battle within them. Yep. Yeah, and it tries to work its way into who we are, but it never will. It never will be able to, for one, taint that God part. In yeah. us. Um, so your your body, your desires, you could be full of sin. You could be just covered in um, you could be covered in what I described when I was teaching this as leeches that suck the life out of you. Like if you just imagine every time you sin and don't deal with it as being a leech, yeah, it just grows and continually covers your body. You know, you could be covered. Um, and we don't like the image that we could cease to be human. And on the one hand, you can't, because until you die, you have that God part, you have that earth part. Yeah. But you can certainly not look like a human. Have you seen the new movie Venom, by any chance? No, I have not. I've just, I'm just thinking of like the, the 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 pictures of the commercials that I've seen, where the symbiote alien invades the human, a human, and it becomes other than. He's yeah. still human, but he he acts other than human. It's probably a good example. Yeah, now I should go and watch that movie. I wonder if I can write that one off on my taxes. <laughs> um, if you preach a sermon on it, <laughs> don't know how well that'll go down. <laughs> uh, I think. If we were to narrow sin down into one line, I would say sin is subhuman behavior. So you going back to behavior? Well, yeah, because um, what it does is it animates. Yeah. So it's it, an alternative animating force. Yeah. So humanity, the, the, the idea of the dust, the earth, mm -hmm. and the spirit of God... We choose, yeah. therefore, which one animates us. Oh, I see what you're saying. I think, okay, sinning is subhuman behavior. Sin, yeah, okay. Sin 
is a foreign invader mm-hmm. to God's good creation. Isn't okay. That yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Okay. Of. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not to not to extend the definition, but no. but it is a completely different view than what has maybe been taught over the last 25, 30, maybe 50 years mm-hmm. of the religious right when it comes to sin. They've been continually harping on the fact that man is bad. Mm-hmm. And when we start with a view of man is bad, the redemption is very hard to get to. Mm-hmm. But when we start from the viewpoint of Genesis 2, that man has that divine animating force. And that we choose to be animated by something else. And as we choose to be animated animated by that other thing, the invasive parasite sin, we will therefore become more like sin and not more like God. Yep. And the further we go down that spiral of being animated by sin, the more natural it looks and feels to the people around us, do you think? I think... This is a C.S. Lewis idea from The Great Divorce, but I think it's gotten to the point where a lot of people don't like a true human when they see it. Yeah, well, the crucified one. Yeah, they crucified <laughs> one. That's a good point. But yeah, I think that it's off-putting almost when somebody is free. Yeah. Free of the of needing to be animated by something other than the divine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you can't control that, that person, that individual. Yep. They don't fall into the same hooks and guilt as someone who's been animated by sin. Exactly. Yeah. Romans 6, one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And then he goes on to say in Romans 6, 12 through 14, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. And when we start looking at sin from the way we've been explaining it before, um, through this podcast, the idea of presenting our members, presenting our bodies to either sin or presenting them to God. Paul has brought these people probably out of this understanding, mm-hmm. uh, introduced this understanding of sin, shalom, and all this harmony with God. Yeah. And now he's presenting this Hey, you have that choice. You don't have you can, you don't have to have it reign over you. You can control it. Mm-hmm. And when you control it, you now have the option: Do you give your members over to sin or to God? Yeah, I really like this passage because it shares that Paul deep down remembers Genesis. Yeah, because there uh, he throws in all those tag words about reigning and dominion. Um, in order to link, not even if he's not trying to link the mind of the Roman readers, it's his own mind. He's using the vocabulary yeah. of Genesis. And sin, along with the devil, along with a lot of words, they develop over time. So that by the New Testament, you're going to read a lot of things. And unfortunately, I think 
we generally have a New Testament view of sin without the Old Testament backing that they're using to get to that view. Yeah. So it's not that every theologian is wrong and we just cracked the code. <laughs> but if you don't go through the proper channel, namely, what did the Bible tell us about sin before it got to the letters of Paul? Oh, yeah. Then you can quickly um, become very wrong about what you're reading. So you, you, would, argue, you would argue that our view of sin needs to be a holistic view of Scripture. Mm-hmm almost an evolving character in the narrative or an evolving character in the narrative. And in order to know how it affects humans, we need to know what humans are. Yeah. And so you go to the source, the beginning. And instead of saying, we're going to define humans through the lens of sin, we're going to define humans through the lens of the creation narrative of God. And when we do that, we can view sin more as that invasive Mm -hmm. other animating force, which it does. It does animate because it brings about action. God, the, and the Spirit of God brings about action or sin brings about an action. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I feel like this almost makes more things sin. Yeah. No, it does. It's, not, it's no longer a tidy list of do's and don'ts. Yeah, you're not picking out certain things. It's all of a sudden we're faced with the question, is this human of me to do? Yeah. Is it, yeah, am I being human? Am I yeah. fully embracing the meld of the divine and the creation? And it no longer becomes, he's opening another one. Yes. It no longer becomes this black and white, this is sin, this is not sin. It's something we actually have to consider. Yep. We don't like that. We'd rather have the law. Yeah. I mean... And it, it takes more reasoning. It takes more um, time. Which is, yeah. If we go back and read the Romans 6 passage, verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Um, there's a lot more to the whole law and grace part. Yeah. But it's almost as if Paul is saying, or I think it is what Paul is saying, is that when you try to make sin and your righteousness boil down to a list of do's, don'ts, and rules and regulations, you fail to experience what it means to be Adam and Eve in the garden. Yeah. Pre-knowledge of good and evil. That's, we have to be, um, as Paul said, um, innocent as doves, but shrewd as snakes. Yep. And um, so... I guess because it is a, a, a different way of viewing all of this. Mm-hmm. What does that do to preaching? Like preaching on a Sunday morning? Yeah, because like, uh, I mean, when you start looking at the Western concept of the Bible being a self-help book of making you more like God. Right. And do this, don't do that. Do your devotions every morning, do this, and then you'll be holy or whatever. This view of sin is more nuanced. It's more reflecting on how our lives maybe reflect the actions of Christ more than the teachings of Paul. Because mm-hmm. Paul, I mean, Christ broke the rules, which would have been considered sin. Uh, under the law, yeah. Under the yep. law. Yep. Yet he didn't sin. Right. 
So he, being the true human, being what Paul calls his second Adam, mm -hmm. this idea of, of being able to live life as humanity, as humans are supposed to live life, he didn't boil it down to a list of do's and don'ts, but it became a lot more nuanced. But he does throw out the do's and don'ts. So No, he does, he, he elevates the do's and don'ts, yeah. actually, to be honest. And what yeah. we're talking about is really more of like, we're talking about mechanics right now. Yeah. Um, so if we were talking, if this was a podcast about cars or specifically about beer and how it's made, we would be talking mechanics. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're doing. Um, we're talking about it in a very different way, a more holistic way, almost like the difference between, I don't know, that's a failed analogy. But anyway, <laughs> um, we're looking at it right now trying to make sense of the entirety of scripture and cover all the bases to make sure that whoever's listening and wants to fight us after this, um, that we've made our case. Yeah. And what happens when you do that is you can tend to take like an aerial approach. And then when you throw that view down into the fray of like somebody coming up to you after church and saying that they've been um, abused in their home, and they don't want to leave, and it's complicated, and they're running into all these issues. And if they leave, then they could lose the kids because they haven't been an angel either. Yeah. And all of this stuff, when when the poop really hits the fan. Keeping our yeah. PG rating. Keeping our PG rating. <laughs> then that's when all of these views come into sharp contrast, and all of a sudden those are like the make-and-break moments for a church of yeah. – what do you believe about sin? Can I stay here? You know, are you telling me that I'm a sinner because of this situation? Yeah. And sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. But when you take the view that the sin is the outside force, um, then your first concern is for the human. Yeah. You're concerned because whatever is happening, whether it's a fault of their own or an outside force, you know deep down that what's enabling this whole thing to continue is an outside force. Yeah. Not them. Yeah. It's not them, the person it's evil, which is why Paul talks about being slaves to sin and slaves to God. Mm -hmm. The, the idea of who we serve and under, so, I mean the, the analogy that you use of, or the story that you use of somebody coming and talking about an abusive relationship. And if we look at it from the standpoint of there's an outside force that is animating the situation and that our role as the church is to bring people into a new animating source mm -hmm. being God, the one that they are created yeah. for. And the reason we hate sin is not because we want to shut down sinners. The reason we hate sin is because its desire is contrary to humans and it's lurking. Yeah. It's crouching. Like something in the brush, the brush. Which, which is an interesting perspective because usually, and I'm not saying people do this on purpose. I'm just saying that it feels like at times people preach on sins, specifically certain sins, to control people instead of to free them. Right. To control the community that they are a part of or the community that they are leading. We're going to preach on this sin so that we can control what you do when you leave this area, mm -hmm. when you leave the confines of this church. Instead, we should be looking at sin 
and and preaching it from the standpoint, we want to free you from sin so that you can be outside of these walls animated by God. Not that we control you now. Not that you have to come say, well, I, I screwed up this week, Pastor, and I did X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But understanding that the battle is between those animating forces and we must pick and choose. And, and we fail. It's more about waking people up than it is about um, exercising demons. Going charismatic again. <laughs> yeah. um, what's hard, I think at the end of the day, what's really hard about this whole plot twist, I guess, that we've kind of thrown out there, I know that this is a, a fairly new way of looking at sin for me, so I'm guessing it would be for a lot of our listeners. Mm -hmm. um, what's difficult is when we read everything in the New Testament and we're like, you know, they're discussing mechanics again, yeah. generally. And then they're, they're very skillfully flowing between mechanics and application because you have letters, which are to people. Mm -hmm. So don't do this. That's bad. It's sin. And then we're like, well, you know, see, Paul made a list. Yeah. And yes, the list is there. But as far as where sin comes from and what is its motive, we go to page four, um, Genesis 4, when yeah. Cain sins. Um, that's what's really hard is, yes, there are lists. Yes. Um, I would definitely um, encourage everybody to stay out of X-rated movies. Um, why? Not because it's on the sin list, but because it's dehumanizing. Yeah. And that is sin crouching at the yeah. door, ready yep. to pounce, because you're dehumanizing other yep. human, other people. Yep. If I'm going to hold a men's conference, I probably will talk about porn mm -hmm. and the dangers of it. Not because it's on the sin list, but because its desire is contrary to you. It yeah. will ruin you as a human being. It makes you less human. If I wanted to talk about gluttony, it would be because I want to talk about what it means to be human, not because I wanted to pick on certain people that eat too much during church potluck on a given Sunday. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's reframing totally, it. Yeah. Is yep. reframing not only the delivery, but the purpose of it. It causes a deeper love for hum for humans and humanity. Yeah. The humans you know and the humanity that you have never met. Yeah. And it also, can it, and this will be a dangerous thing, does it humanize people that we don't want to humanize? When we start yeah. looking this way and we start looking at... I mean, I've read a recent article on MLive, which is our local like news source, Michigan Live, about a lot of the people in human trafficking who do kidnap people are were trafficked themselves first. And there's this vicious cycle that, that, that happens. And it made me realize the humanity of the people who are taking kids that they are also so, I don't want to use the word damaged again, but they are tainted by the, the by sin. But they are also redeemable. I mean, they can be brought out of it. 
So it's it's reframing it to the idea that there's every human can be brought back and be reanimated or be choose to be animated by the spirit. Mm-hmm. And we don't like so that's not a, a story. We, we like redemption stories a little bit, but if we talk, if we go deep into it, some people we think no, no, there's no redemption for them. Yeah, and that's dehumanizing. And it's a small view of God. Yeah. Uh, I never like to be in the business of telling God who he can or cannot forgive. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. So I think we laid out kind of our initial theory pretty well. Maybe we could handle atonement. In one? In one. Yeah, we're 56, 57 minutes in now. Yep. But we'll... Um, and here for today. Yep. Dan's had different drinks today, two different ones. So we have to find out which review. one he prefers. I'm going to review a mead called Necro. And uh, it's got in parentheses underneath Necro Mango Con. And because we're doing bad words, I got one that looks like the devil. Ooh, is that what the devil it's looks like? Bottle. Yep. It's like a Halloween one. Yeah, it looks like the devil. That's one of our future bad words or naughty words. <laughs> So yeah, it was good. It was um, it's got mango juice in it as well as, of course, because it's a mead, it's a honey beer. Um, but it was really good, and um, it's fairly low carb, which is important on my low carb diet. On your keto stuff. I'm not fully keto anymore, but it's still low carb, so it's good. I went with a local one again. I went with um, Shorts Brewing Company from Elk Rapids, Michigan. This is their Soft Parade Shandy. I haven't tried this one. I've done the Soft Parade quite often. Um, this one is described as um, a fruity rye ale brewed with blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, strawberries, and homemade lemonade, which is the difference between the Soft Parade Shandy and the Soft Parade is that homemade lemonade added in. It was good. It drank very easily, almost too easily, which is why I only bought two. And you finished them quickly. I did. I was thirsty today after yelling at kids at soccer practice. <laughs> Um, but thank you for joining us for episode 14. We will try to get into a more regular recording schedule, um, to keep these coming out. We did pass our, our goal of 12. Yeah. I don't think we'll meet our goal of 24. Probably not. Probably not. But, um, we did pass, um, thousand downloads, thousand downloads. So thank you for you guys downloading, especially you in Sweden. Was it? Yeah, whoever's in Sweden is kicking butt. Who is in Sweden? If you're in Sweden, drop us a line. Yeah, seriously, (laughs) we we cannot figure out who you might be. With all our connections in this world, we don't know who you are. But, um, yep, Um, thanks for spending an hour with us, and we will catch you guys in the next one. See ya. See ya.